talk, finish off uh, my contribution in terms of our series on suffering uh, to look at 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12. Please find it in your Bibles and um, we're going to just look at these beautiful verses this morning. It says, dear friends, all of you, do not be surprised at a fiery trial that has come upon you to test you. As if something strange was happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Jesus, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Jesus, the name of Christ, you are blessed, you are happy, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the name, that name, the name of Jesus. So over the last couple of weeks, I've been looking at uh, the couple of verses before this, which is, I said to you, is like a parenthesis in the middle of the letter, it's almost like Peter got distracted a little bit and he talked in a very practical way about how we can live well in the end times. And remember I said to you, it's not about trying to predict the end of the world or get weird about the apocalypse. It's about, what does Peter say? He says, be sober-minded. Think clearly. Think logically. Why? So you can pray. That's the first thing he says we should do well in the end times is be, become really good prayers. Hear what God wants us to pray and pray it so they can, God can move and, and, and uh, the kingdom can come. And then he said, so be sober-minded, be prayerful. And what did he say? Love one another. And how is your love expressed? Through, through hospitality. And so those were the three things that he said we should do to live well in the end times. And then remember last week, we looked at those beautiful words where he summarizes everything and he says, serve one another. And so we looked at the gifts that we have and how we can use those to serve the church. And he has that beautiful expression. He says, as you do that, the manifold wisdom of God, the, the, the diverse rainbow-colored grace of God is lavished on the church and the church gets strong. So every one of us is to use our gifts. And then he finishes that portion by this kind of declaration. He says, praise be to uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to him be glory and power forever. It's like he declares this. He can't help himself. He bursts into praise. And now in these verses here today, he gets back to his central theme of talking about suffering. And the first thing he says, I've got very simple points this morning. Do not be surprised, people, when difficult things happen to you. All right? And it's always our default is, why is this happening to me? I'm such a nice guy. I've served God all my life. Why am I going through difficult things? That's our default. What's Peter's response? Don't be surprised when difficult things happen to you. And um, this passage this morning is not really talking about suffering in general. What do I mean by that? Well, it's not reflecting on why good people get ill or have uh, mental illness or die in car accidents or are overcome by natural disasters. He's not really speaking about that. What he's speaking about is a pastoral word of encouragement to his friends in the church who are facing social abuse and insult from people, public humiliation, because they follow Jesus. Because they've said, I want my life to count for God's kingdom, and the people in the world don't like that. And so they've been insulted and persecuted. And that's, that's really what this message is. And remember that Peter's 
all throughout the letter, he's been encouraging people to look up to the great work that Jesus has already done. And he said things like, Jesus' blood has ransomed us in chapter 1, verse 18. He says he's lavished us. He's given us the gift of the new birth. In, uh, we have been born again, chapter 1, verse 3. He says Jesus is the living stone that the builders have rejected, but he's the capstone. He's the cornerstone of the church. Remember, he said that in chapter 2. And then he says... If Jesus, our great example, suffered in chapter 2, verse 21, even as Christ suffered, we should expect that we are going to go through some difficult things in this life. So don't be surprised at the fire. All right? And the word fire here is pyrosis, the Greek, where you get funeral pyre from or you get pyrotechnic from. And it just it simply means fire. And so in the original uh, translation, there's no, there's, there's no trial, but by implication, uh, this is what Peter's talking about. He's saying you've been through fire of persecution. And um, the reason that Peter puts it there is to say, this is a test for you. When you go through fire, it's a test. And remember, there was a very um, gifted writer in the UK many hundreds of years ago called Shakespeare. Remember, what, what did Shakespeare say? He said, all that glitters is not gold. Did you know that was an expression from Shakespeare? Well, it is. And what, what, what is his point? All that glitters is not gold. His point is that actually there are some things that fire releases out of gold that gets rid of impurities and leaves the pure metal behind. So Peter's point is this, is that God allows testing in our lives to reveal the gold that is residing in you by the power of the Spirit. That all the impurities are burnt away, and what is left is the pure gold of the Holy Spirit's power and work in your life. That's what Peter is saying. So don't be surprised when you go through difficult things. It's there to burn away the dross and to reveal the gold that God has placed within you through His Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we see it over and over again. Abraham was tested by God when he said, Offer up your son Isaac, and we know how that story ends. What about the Israelites? It says in Deuteronomy and other books that they are led into the wilderness where God tested their hearts to see if they would love him completely or if their hearts would go after other things because their circumstances were difficult. That's the test the Israelites went through. What about in the same way uh, in the New Testament we're told that we, we are going to go through that same kind of testing. Matthew 26, Luke 8, James 1, Peter 4. And so the promise of God is that he's with us in the test. And it's a privilege for us to go through the test. Now, I never saw this before, but Philippians 1.29 says this. He says, for us, uh, Peter, uh, Paul writing to the Philippian church, for it has been granted to us on behalf of Jesus, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. The implication is it's a privilege that we have as Christians to identify with something of the struggle that Jesus went through. And it's, that is a privilege that we get to enjoy. And, and this is the amazing thing that the language of the New Testament is that we are called to rejoice in that process. I mean, that's, that's, really, that's really difficult, isn't it? Uh, so that's the second thing Peter says. He encourages, rejoice in your trials. And this is a common theme throughout the New Testament. Remember James 1 that we studied years ago. It says, consider it pure joy, my friends, when you fall into difficult things. Come on now, that's so hard, man. 
Consider it pure joy. What does Romans say? Romans 5, 3, it expresses the same idea. It says, not only so, but we glory in our suffering because we know suffering produces perseverance, character, and character hope. There's something that happens in you that is never taken away when you've been through a difficult thing and you've overcome by the power of the Spirit that the inside of your life is just so much stronger and more stable when you've been through a difficult thing and God has brought you through. Yeah? I learned that with my son who had a brain tumor. And we struggled as a family. Those were dark years for us. But God did something on, in the inside of our hearts that no one can take away that I know deeply, 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 I always say this, I know in my knower that God is faithful. You have a knower inside of you and you know in that place that no one can take away that God is faithful and when we pray, he answers and he heals. And no one can take that away. That only comes when you go through the trial. Do I want to go through that again? Absolutely not. Please God, no. But once you're standing on the other side, you learn something powerful that God does on the inside of you that no one can take away. And so it would be weird if Peter was saying, enjoy suffering. Peter is not saying, enjoy suffering. He's not saying, enjoy the difficult thing that is happening to you. He is saying that it is a, it's a privilege and we can find joy in this, the difficult thing because we are confident that God is doing something in our lives that we don't yet see or fully understand. That's the difference. So why do I say that? Because this is what Romans says and this is what Philippians says and I'm going to un unpack pack that in a short while but it's not an exaggeration to say that the early Christians really did rejoice in, in suffering in Acts 5 41 it says this uh, the apostles are called before the Sanhedrin the Jewish leaders they're told never to preach in the name of Jesus again Peter gets up he says I can't do that I'm going to honor God and uh, then one of the um, Ananias uh, one of the high priests says uh, let's not let's not uh, deal with these men if they are of God they're going to prosper anyway and if they're not of God they're going to fall so what we'll just do we'll just beat them and let them go and that's what it says Acts 5 41 Peter was part of that group they get beaten by the Sanhedrin they they leave and it says in verse 41 as the apostles left the Sanhedrin they rejoiced because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name they were saying, no, the, this is what Jesus went through, and we counted a privilege that we are counted worthy to suffer in the same way that Jesus suffered for his name. Wow. And so Peter, he was part of that original encounter. He's now encouraging all his friends. He's saying, don't rejoice in the trouble itself. Uh, discipline, Hebrews says, discipline is never pleasant at the time. Hebrews 12, 11. But after we've been through it, what does it say? It says this beautiful thing. It says, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those that have been trained by it. We all get tested. We all get trained. And there's a harvest of righteousness, of, of peace, love, joy in the Holy Spirit. They can never be taken away from you when you've gone through the fire and you've seen God is faithful and you come out the other side. Man, God is faithful. My son who had the brain tumor is playing at Glastonbury right now. Two hours. It's beautiful. The dreams that he has for his people, he can still bring them into our lives and nothing overcomes when God 
takes us through the fire and we come out the other side. It's beautiful. Consider it pure joy, says Paul in Philippians, because you know the testing of your faith is producing something. The Roman passage says exactly the same thing. We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces character and character produces hope. We know there's something that we know that God is shaping our destiny, is shaping our future through the difficult things. He's drawing out the gold. He's burning off the dross. And that's why it's a great joy, says Peter, when you go through a difficult thing because you're getting to know who, who uh, be like Jesus, getting to know something, your character is being shaped and he's doing a beautiful thing in your life that is going to stand you in good stead and no one can take that away from you. That's the point. And so here's the Greek. My Greek friends, you'll have to correct my um, pronunciation. He says, when Christ's glory is fully revealed, we will be overjoyed, overjoyed. He says, that's why we can endure well now because there's something coming that's going to be. And the Greek is agalio, which is a wonderful expressive word. It means exaltation. It means leaping and dancing with joy. That's what it means. And so now he's saying, rejoice now like that when you're going through the hard thing. Leap and dance because you know in, on that day you're going to be fully vindicated by your father. You're going to hear the well done. You're going to hear what Jesus said in Matthew 25. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. You can rejoice now when you're going through difficult things because you know there's an exaltation coming in the future that is too wonderful to express. And it's going to be dancing and leaping and joyful shouting in his presence when you're vindicated by him. When he says, well done. You didn't give up. You didn't lose faith. You didn't say, oh, God, woe is me. Why are you letting this happen to me? You go through the fire. You go through the trial with faith in your heart. And he brings you out the other side and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on, guys. I know many of you are going through things. Don't give up. He's doing something that you can't see. And you're going to come out the other side rejoicing. And there's this beautiful, beautiful word, kononia. He says in that we are partakers of, kononia is the word there. We get to be partners together as God's family in the difficult things that we go through. There, there's, there's people linking arms in the church saying, I'm with you. You, know, you don't get to do it alone. You can choose to be alone in your suffering. Or you can choose to open your heart to other people that genuinely love you and want to see the best for you. And you get to participate in fellowship. Cornonio, we know. Cornonio is the idea that in the difficult thing, the whole family of God goes through it together. And we get to bear each other's burdens. And we get to pray for people and lift them up and encourage them. It's part of the joy of God's church. Fellowship in suffering. That's what it means. We get to do it with other people. We're not alone. My friends, when we went through that thing, there were people in this church that absolutely held us up. We wanted to give up, man. I've never felt so alone in my life, ever. And there were people here that lifted us up. Said, come on, you can do it. And that's such a blessing. And so there's this intimate 
invitation that when you are going through difficult things, there are others partaking of that with you. There's fellowship in the church, and we have fellowship in Christ's sufferings. And it's a privilege because he's bringing out the gold within us. And then there's a special blessing. It says, if we are insulted for Jesus' sake. If you're insulted because of the name of Jesus, you are blessed. It's the same word as in the, as in the Sermon on the Mount, remember? It means literally happy. You are happy for the spirit of glory and God rests on you. When Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are you when you are reproached, persecuted, and people say all kind of evil against you falsely for my name. Jesus said it. And then he says this, rejoice. Be happy, be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Jesus always pointing us to more than what we see now with our eyes. Pointing us to the future, living for the future inheritance. And it seems that in the, the early church, their suffering wasn't because they were doing anything wrong or any particular crime, but just because they were saying, we want to follow Jesus with all of our hearts and we're not going to be pagans anymore. <laughs> God's called us to something more than just behaving like the rest of the pagans do in the world. And they lived in a pagan culture, so I'm using that purposefully. And that's all they did, and it got people really angry. What do you mean you're not going to bow down to the emperor? Everyone else bows down to the emperor. You, well, Christians, you will too. And they say, no, there's one king. His name is Jesus. He's the only God. We will bow to him, no one else. Okay, we'll throw you to the lions. We'll kill you. Our culture says the same thing to us. You will bow down to our expectations of how you should live, what you should value. If you don't, we'll, pers we'll persecute you. It's the same deal, man. Same deal. And it made the pagans really angry because they wouldn't bow down to all the other gods. And they said, no, we want to follow a savior. We want to live a holy life. And that got the world, the, the, them irritated and angry. It's the same as for us today. You want to live a holy life? People are going to get irritated and angry and say, who, the, who, who do you think you are? Do you think you are better than all of us? <laughs> yes, this is how it is. And think about Jesus. What did Jesus, how did he live? He went around loving people, healing people, doing good, feeding the poor, teaching ordinary people in a way that they could understand what the kingdom of heaven was like. That's all he did. And the ordinary people loved him. Love to hear him speak. They felt God's love through him. And yet there were people right from the beginning of his ministry that hated him and wanted him dead. Yes. And if you read the Gospels, you can see that over and over again. Why was that? What had he done to make people so bitter and angry and resentful? It was simply this, that he loved God, his Father, with a pure love that they didn't have. And it made them guilty. And it made them angry that they weren't like Jesus. And they knew they were religious. And they knew that they had put their trust in different things. And it made them angry. And so said, we're going to remove the source of our anger. We're going to kill Jesus. We're going to kill this man. And so, my friends, I want to say to you that as kindly as I can this morning, if you're following Jesus with all of, all of your heart, it's likely the same will be true in your life. No matter how kind, how patient, how generous, how persevering you might be, there will always be people that dislike your love for God. And say, it's just too much for me. You're just too passionate. You're just too religious. You're just too, uh, who do you think you are? That you think that makes you more acceptable to God than me? I mean, I'm also a good person. This is the, this is the tone of our culture. And people get resentful. And pretty soon, 
you are persecuted just because you love Jesus and you say, I don't want to behave like that because I'm trying to live in a different way. I want to throw that off. And then the culture says, oh, well, you, you need to behave like that because we all behave like that. And that's perfectly acceptable to all of us. Who do you Christians think you are? No, we just want to be holy. We want to live like God calls us to live. And then you get insulted, slandered. And it's painful, man, when that happens. You know, I've said this before. I want to say it again. The old thing, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never harm me. It's rubbish. Absolute rubbish. Don't ever say that to your kids. It's unhelpful. Words hurt like crazy. As much as a sword or a knife will pierce your heart, words do the same thing. And there are many of you that still carry scars from things that people said years and years and years ago that have damaged you and you've had to struggle to overcome by forgiveness and by the power of the Spirit. And nothing can damage your reputation so powerfully and disastrously as when people question your reputation. And that's part of being insulted. And so very soon we can find ourselves being slandered just because we love Jesus and we want to serve him. And the world doesn't like that. So what happens, Jesus says? <laughs> he says, well, my friends, rejoice in that day. Man, it's so counterintuitive, isn't it? Rejoice in that day, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for the fa their fathers did the same thing to the prophets. And Jesus encourages us and says, even don't worry about what you're going to have to say. On that day, Matthew 10, when you speak, the Holy Spirit of your Father will speak through you and give you the words to say. So we don't have to, we don't have to worry. We can joyfully walk through suffering, going through the fire, knowing that God is faithful. Last thing I want to say, our suffering shouldn't be caused by our own stupidity or our own crimes. <laughs> Peter says that. He says, uh, if you suffer, don't be because you're a murderer, a thief, or any kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. I found this fascinating. A meddler. If you're a meddler, you're going to have suffering in your life. <laughs> And the word Greek is allotripikoskopos, where we get episkopos. We get episkopos, the word in the church for bishop or overseer or elder. is the same root word as what Peter's saying here. So what is he trying to say? He's saying it's translated in various translations as busybody, meddler, or mischief maker. So he's saying if you're a Christian, if you're a disciple of Jesus... Don't be, try and be an overseer of everybody else's life. If you do that, you are meddling in people's lives and you're going to suffer. And if you suffer for meddling, don't blame it on Jesus. <laughs> if you're a busybody, don't blame it on Jesus and say it's because you're a Christian. No, it's because you're a busybody. Stop being a busybody. And so we have a phrase that we have used in our lives that's really helped us as elders, as overseers. I am not called to be a policeman in your life. I'm called, you to, I'm called to point you to Christ and in your relationship with Jesus, that you love him with all your heart. I can help. I can ask you. I can give you advice. Your life is your life to live. I am not called to be a policeman in your life. And you are not called to be a policeman in anyone else's life either. If you try and police people, you're going to suffer. Don't be a busybody. 
says Peter. Isn't that fascinating? And he puts it in the same sentence as a murderer, a thief, or any kind of criminal, and a, and a busybody. Wow. Okay. That was really went down well at that point, I can see. And then, lastly, this beautiful encouragement, he says, Do not be ashamed if you suffer for Christ, but praise God that you bear his name. Do not be ashamed. Isn't that uh, the, the thing? Whenever we go through a difficult time, something in us feels shame. We feel like, oh, this must be something wrong with me that I'm going through this difficult thing. And this is the first time here in the Greek that the word Christianos is used. It's only used three other times in, in the New Testament. But here, uh, normally Christians refer to themselves in other ways. Up until the end of the second century, they called themselves disciples. They called themselves brothers and sisters, saints. They called themselves believers, all Greek words that are used. But by the end of the second century, other people had started calling Christians Christians, Christianos. And so P P Peter's point here is, if you're suffering for Jesus, don't be ashamed. <laughs> no, you bear his name. You don't need to feel anything when people are treating you badly and, and don't needlessly blame yourself. Take a look and say, okay, well, perhaps I did something wrong. Repent of that. But if, if it seems that the, the persecution far outweighs what you think you might have ever done, and th then you know that you're suffering for the name of Jesus. Rejoice in that. And rejoice that you're suffering for his name. You're going through the fire for his name. And he's refining gold in your life. And so as Christians... As we suffer because we bear the name of Jesus, there's no shame, there's no guilt attached to that. And as someone who belongs to Jesus, we wear his name proudly. We, we wear his name boldly. We speak in a way that brings glory to him. And we go on trusting him, knowing that as we wait for the final end of all time, he is faithful to deliver us from the fire now. And we don't give up because we know he's good. And he's doing something deep in us that is producing gold that no one can take away. Amen. God bless you. God keep you, make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we want to thank you so much for your amazing kindness, your goodness, your kindness in our lives in so many ways. Thank you for your faithfulness always to take us through the fire, that we can trust you completely with our future that you do something deep within us when we go through difficult things that no one can take away, that we get to love you and trust you in a completely different way because of the difficult things you take us through. And we thank you that you are a faithful God. We thank you in every way that you are who you say you are, that underneath our lives are your sovereign arms lifting us up and holding us as a faithful Father, we rejoice in every good thing that you do.